You're listening to Common Bonds Radio. Hi, I'm Kelly Burley with episode 11 of our podcast. Hope you're doing well. So, the Oklahoma legislature has wrapped up the 2020 legislative session, a truncated gathering at the state capitol this year because of the COVID-19 pandemic. Today, we visit with one of our state's veteran animal advocates, Cynthia Armstrong, Senior State Director for the Oklahoma Chapter of the Humane Society of the United States, about the just-concluded session. Our conversation, though, begins with a look back at the early influences that ultimately shaped Cynthia's calling as a voice for the voiceless animals in our state. Well, I grew up in Oklahoma City, um, but I spent weekends on my uh, paternal grandparents' cattle ranch. Um, My parents were divorced, and my dad uh, had us every weekend, so we spent a lot of great time at um, my grandparents' ranch in eastern Oklahoma County. And then uh, I spent summertime uh, and some summertime visits at my maternal grandparents' farm in Hydro. And so I had uh, a lot of encounters with not only dogs and cats and horses, but other farm animals. Uh, so that was a, a great experience. What do you remember of those uh, early experiences with with various animals, whether they were farm animals or companion animals? Uh, it, are there some that stand out uh, in your in your memory? Yes, I I remember my grandmother and my great aunt. Um, both of those matriarchs were exceptionally uh, kind and um, caring for the animals. And it wasn't just the farm animals. Now that I think about it, that included wild animals. I remember my grandmother um, having little turtle friends and rabbits that would come up to the house. And um, they were just, they were good caregivers. uh, And uh, it was really a wonderful example for me. Uh, So how did that uh, experience, uh, that early experience with animals, how did that influence your decision to pursue a career as a voice for animals? Well, it, it's sort of an interesting path. I, uh, Of course, I had those weekend and summertime experiences. I did not have a uh, dog during my grade school years, although I was always campaigning for one. <laughs> And always coming up with good reasons why we should get a dog. And then in seventh grade, I, I finally, our, we, our living situation changed, and we had a fenced backyard, and I finally prevailed upon my parents to get a dog. And um, and in those in-between years when I didn't have one, I started a little dog statue collection and a dog scrapbook, I guess is what you'd call it. I mean, any picture I found, any story about, you know, I cut it out and Scotch tape it in the um, scrapbook. And I collected, I would save my allowance to buy a dog statue. I would receive them for birthday and Christmas gifts. And uh, over the years, that collection has mushroomed into hundreds of dog statues, which I still have in display in my home currently. So that was, I was really fixed on dogs. And in childhood, I thought, you know, what could I, growing up, what could I do that would be involved with animals? And I, my, the two things I thought of were either veterinarian or 
uh, animal trainer. <laughs> and, and, you know, as a kid, I didn't really have any exposure uh, to direct political advocacy for animals or even a concept of that. So, um, but I, but I was, I was hooked and uh, I knew, I mean, I ended up getting a degree in fine arts and then an MBA in finance. And yet that path just kept taking me back, you know, through volunteerism and um, just drawn to animals and their cause. Uh, I just kept going back and getting involved in animal rescue groups, doing my own independent rescues and, uh, and then just getting more and more committed as an avocation. And then I just kept ramping up uh, until I was in with both feet. <laughs> and then this, this opportunity opened up for, uh, to be the state director for Oklahoma for HSUS. So, um, and in fact, I was the first state director. It was a new program uh, where they wanted somebody in every state that really understood the uh, culture of the state and the politics of the state and um, knew their way around. So uh, it was a very wonderful opportunity. And I, it's um, that 15 years has flown by. And is that where you began working legislation or, or had you uh, at the Capitol or had you done that uh, as a volunteer previously? You know, in my volunteer days, I did get quite a bit of city council experience. Um, I was on the Citizen Advisory Committee and there was some controversy at the Oklahoma City Animal Shelter. So I learned the council process. Um, I had a councilman, Mark Schwartz who was also a neighbor and friend of mine, and he really uh, helped me learn how to lobby city council members. So, so I had that early uh, experience. And then really in the state legislature, that started just previous to my um, full-time employment with HSUS. Um, I actually did work as a consultant for them um, lobbying to uh, keep our cockfighting ban in place. So I had, you know, from, I would say, 2001 uh, through present time, I've had a lot of state legislative experience um, working to defend existing animal protection laws and uh, also trying to advance other animal protection legislation. Do you remember uh, your your first um, specific piece of state legislation that you worked? Yes, I do. I remember it very well. Uh, there was a uh, legislator from Claremore who wanted to amend the Dog and Cat Sterilization Act, and uh, it it's it's written so that you either the, the if the dog or cat that's being released from an eight agency, a sheltering agency in Oklahoma, it's not spayed or neutered, they must collect a deposit. And so, you know, some people, and then you get your deposit back when you bring proof that your animal has been spayed or neutered. And uh, it's a small deposit. I think it's still $10 if the statute is written. But the legislator, uh, I guess, had been asked by his police, uh, chief of police uh, to make the statute um, so that the forfeited deposits, the deposits that people couldn't come back for or didn't come back for, could be used for another purpose. 
and I think they were planning on buying a new vehicle for the police department. <laughs> and we took, we thought that's not a good idea. If they're forfeited deposits, those need to be used to prepare more animals for adoption. They don't need to be directed to vehicle purchases. It just seemed wrongheaded. So we did lobby the um, legislator. He was brand new, and he asked if we would just, um, he understood our position. Would we just let him run it through committee so he could have the experience of <laughs> having a bill heard in committee? And he did. And then he pulled the bill. And um, I don't know, a year later, he wrote me a little note and um, thanked me for our uh, interchange and input on his legislation. And he wanted to let me know he had just adopted a pet from the Claremore shelter and that he had gone back for his deposit. <laughs> <laughs> and had gotten his dog spayed and neutered and provided proof to the shelter. So that was that was kind of a nice ending to that. But that, yeah, that was the first one. Well, how did that make you feel to make that difference? Oh, it was it was great. It was it you know, and this is never it's 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 both a, a feeling of relief, you know, that the the bad thing isn't going to happen, and and also elation that you you had some impact in protecting animals um and it's it's always that double feeling a feel a sigh of relief and and a feeling of elation when i think of of cynthia armstrong i think of two issues cockfighting and right to farm and i'd like to start with cockfighting and just um, talk with you a little bit about the history and uh your involvement and uh and and the outcome well, cockfight, you know, so it was interesting uh, being the, the dog advocate all of these years. One of the, the biggest political uh, things that I um, worked on tackling uh, was unrelated to dogs whatsoever, and it was about cockfighting. And we, Oklahoma, we learned, was one of the last three states to ban the practice. Most states banned cockfighting before the automobile was invented. So, you know, it was, but it had the, because of the years that Oklahoma did not take any action on this issue, it really became quite a stronghold in the state and was very difficult. We, you know, several attempts had been made to get a bill through the legislature. They went nowhere. Uh, and so we decided, you know, uh, we looked at Arizona had just banned cockfighting by initiative petition. And we thought, well, you know, I wonder if Oklahoma has that process. And we learned that it did. Um, we invited um, specialists from the Humane Society of the United States to come speak to us about cockfighting in general, um, the history, and uh, the initiative petition process, because we'd never tried anything like that. And we, we all, you know, the, the leaders of the humane movement at the time decided, you know, let's do this. And of course, we, we had no idea how difficult it would be that there were so few initiative petitions in those days that ever made it through even the signature gathering process, let alone make it to the ballot to um, pass. And then we learned um, that as difficult as that all is, uh, if you're having to circulate an initiative petition in the first place, you obviously have a, an issue that is the legislature is hostile to. So some of the hardest parts after the people of Oklahoma passed the ban were the legal challenges to the new Oklahoma cockfighting law and the legislative, uh, the many, many legislative attempts 
spanning several years trying to weaken or overturn uh, the, the law the people passed. So that's where I really cut my teeth on uh, legislative process and creation of uh, compelling fact sheets and working with the media and doing op-eds and writing letters to the editor. And, and it was a, it was a, a great, great learning experience. And uh, so I, that's quite a memory. It, it span, I, from start to finish, it spanned about 10, 10 years. Wow. <laughs> we, yeah, it was a it was a big long thing. We've often laughed. Uh, some of the top ten signature gatherers are still around, and we often say, "Would we have done that? Would we have even tried that if we had known how hard it was going to be?" But to this day, knock on wood, uh, the the law still stands as the people passed it, and that what well, was a, took a significant amount of effort <laughs> to protect that law, but um, it's still there, and and there we're still seeing cockfighting busts. Uh, by law enforcement. So that's, that's very gratifying. And of course, uh, one of the uh, primary proponents of cockfighting was uh, Frank Sheridan, the uh, Senator uh, from uh, Henrietta. Tell, tell me a little bit about your relationship with him. Well, that was a, a very interesting and longstanding relationship. Uh, you know, he, uh, we were on opposite sides for, for years, you know, he, he would call me the radical animal rights lady and I, you know, would retort with, well, he's a champion of the cockfighters. And so we, you know, we went back and forth, back and forth. And it's interestingly, now that I look back on it, you know, I look at how bitterly partisan things are right now and how really politics of personal destruction and, and what's going on right now uh, in politics. But looking back on that experience, we, as contentious as it was, we never made it personal. It was just very issue-based. He was very passionate about his position, and I was very passionate about mine. And, you know, we just sparred back and forth over and over, year after year. And then a real quick funny story. Um, one of his last attempts to overturn the uh, cockfighting ban was this idea of gamecock boxing, where it would be paramutual gamecock boxing, where the roosters would be fitted with little gloves the they would wear, and, and it would be like a fight between roosters, but it would be without the blade, and people could bet on the outcome. And of course, it was still very inhumane, and because uh, the the blows from the roosters can break bones, I mean, it's, it, it would not have been acceptable. So OETA, asked us to come debate the issue, come debate the Gamecock boxing bill. So Cinder Sheridan and I got stuck in the green room together for quite a long time and um, just started talking about our love of dogs. Um, the television was on in the green room and the old Andy Griffith show <laughs> came on and uh, we were, he said how much he liked it. I said, you know, it's one of my favorite shows too. And we sort of bonded over that and, after we did the debate on air, um, we ended up defeating the Gamecock boxing bill. Our side did. And um, we there was a breed-specific uh, legislation bill, uh, uh, one that would have prohibited, uh, would have banned the breed of pipples. And he, interestingly enough, was, was working to kill the bill, and we were able to collaborate on that bill together and make sure that didn't get through. And then um, as time 
I don't know, a couple of months went on and um, I was outside the Senate chamber lobbying on another issue and he walked out and walked over to me and uh, shook my grabbed my hand and shook my hand. And he said, did you hear Don Knox passed away? And I said, I did. He said, I'm, I'm going to, I'm thinking about doing a resolution on the floor. And I just remembered that we had that mutual um, love of the Andy Griffith show. And uh, so it was kind of a cool ending to a long um, oppositional relationship. But it just is another example of the fact that um, if you don't make it personal, you do, and you're a strong advocate for your issue. Um, there's still an avenue to friendship, and certainly there's respect there uh, for uh, your advocacy, uh, no matter which side you you are on. So that was my the culmination of my relationship with Senator Sheridan, and I, I have, believe it or not, I have very fond um, feelings for him. And of course, all of all of that. Uh, cumulative experience uh, added up uh, in a more recent policy fight over Wright Farm. Let's talk about that a little bit and your your experience there. Yes. Um, well, you know, Wright Farm, uh, that was on the ballot here in Oklahoma in 2016. It was a measure that was referred to the ballot by the legislature. Uh, they tried for several years to get it on the ballot. Uh, we worked to stop that, and finally they were successful uh, in putting it, referring that measure to the 2016 ballot. Uh, it was very friend, very friendly sounding ballot language. You know, the right farm who wouldn't be who would be opposed to that, but it, it had some very nefarious and, and um, bad consequences for our state in terms of um, providing constitutional protection to. Um, animal enterprises, these massive factory farms, many of which are foreign-owned, uh, and would have let them go unregulated unless um, the state could prove a compelling state interest against um, that regulation. Uh, and it just, it, it, it really required an all-hands-on-deck approach to defeating it. Uh, we started, we were very underwater in our polling. Uh, there were a number of groups that were involved in fighting the bill, uh, certainly animal welfare groups, um, but also sustainable farming operations, uh, family farmers, uh, the Sierra Club, the Conference of Churches, uh, many of the municipalities across the state saw the, the danger in them not being able to regulate uh, these animal operations within their jurisdictions, uh, and so it, uh, we we fought very hard to defeat that, and and defeated it overwhelmingly. I mean, by sixty plus percent. So it was it was a um, important fight. It was exhausting, <laughs> and you know during that, I you know of course when they the opposition finds out the Humane Society is involved. The talking point is never about the issue itself. It's like, well, you know, these are outsiders. They, you know, this Oklahoma State director is, you know, a radical animal rights activist, doesn't understand about Oklahoma, doesn't care about protecting Oklahoma. And my go-to line would always be, you know, I would remind them of our family farm in Hydro 
which has been designated in, in our family for over 100 years. It's actually been designated an Oklahoma Centennial Farm by the Oklahoma Historical Society and the Oklahoma Department of Agriculture. So I always reminded them that I was not only was I not an outsider, but I am an ultimate insider. <laughs> so um, anyway, it was a it was a great collaboration between many important environmental groups. Uh, we had the tri- five civilized tribes were endorsing. Uh, the opposition to that and, and a no vote on that. And so it was, it was an amazing experience. I sometimes looking back on it, you, you feel exhausted all over again. I mean, it was, it was uh, night and day working together and it was, a, it was one of those against all odds and um, it worked out. So I'm, I'm very proud. I'm so proud of our Oklahoma voters. They saw once they really understood and started reading the ballot language and thinking about it, they saw right through the scheme and voted no in a very resounding way. Cynthia, are there some other uh, policy achievements that, uh, that you're most proud of from your history at the Capitol? You know, I, I do a lot of defensive work, and, you know, there are many things that we would like to proactively achieve, but we have quite a few good laws on the books. Um, cockfighting law being one of them, dogfighting. Uh, our animal cruelty law is very good. And over the years, there have been numerous attempts to, to weaken that. And um, we've been able to fight those off. So I'm very proud of that. I'm very uh, proud of the fact that no breed-specific legislation banning particular breeds of dogs has ever passed. We've defeated that multiple times. Uh, there are have been several attempts to expand Oklahoma's existing pound seizure statute. And that's a law, a very old, archaic, sort of -of out-of-date law that unfortunately is still on the books in Oklahoma. And it would allow educational or research institutions to demand the unclaimed pets from an animal shelter and then use them in teaching or scientific experimentation. And that, that issue is one that keeps me awake at night it's 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 a these are lost and homeless pets that are unclaimed and then end up enduring very painful experiments or terminal surgeries in the name of teaching and uh over the years there's less and less of that done uh universities have learned how to to teach veterinary medicine without uh, and do beneficial surgeries uh and, and it was just sort of an old way of doing things. Uh, I know our vet school at OSU has, has dropped the terminal surgeries. They do beneficial surgeries. It works out great. They have, and they have assist uh, rescue groups all over the state with the spaying and neutering. So it's, but there was a, a guy, a wholesale dealer of animals that talked a rep- Oklahoma representative into running a bill that would have expanded the pound seizure statute. And it would have instituted criminal penalties against animal shelter employees who wouldn't hand over the animals to a dealer. They introduced that three years, three consecutive years, and um, I was able to kill it all three years. Cynthia Armstrong is the Senior State Director for the Oklahoma Chapter of the Humane Society of the United States and is our guest on this edition of Common Bonds Radio. 
Cynthia, I know you're catching your breath just a little bit from the most recently concluded legislative session, probably the most unusual session in state history, given COVID-19. Yes. It, you know, every, every session is very intense. You never know what's coming down the pike. It's a, it's a very compressed four month period. It's very fast paced. And, um, this year, having COVID-19 interrupt the session and, and, you know, not knowing what would move forward or if they'd reconvene was very unusual. It's very, everyone was worried for all of our friends, uh, legislative uh, friends and lobbyists about them, you know, in such tight quarters. And, uh, and of course, the state needed to pass a budget. So it was... Um, was a very difficult session, but um, we did have some some good outcomes, and we were able to stop some bad bills. So, in spite of COVID nineteen, so you know it, the fight goes on, uh, and it it just added an extra difficult wrinkle to the process. But we we got through it, and they're adjourned now for this year. Let's drill down into some of those uh, outcomes. Uh, what uh, what stood out this legislative session? Well, the first thing I, I uh, think about is a holdover bill from the 2019 session called the Pet Store Licensing Act. And it's really, you know, that's what the, the legislation was entitled. We call it a pet land preemption bill. And, it, you know, it was a bill that would have seized local control from municipalities and um, not allowed them to regulate the sale of dogs in pet stores in their own jurisdictions. And it had far-reaching negative consequences. Uh, you know, a lot Petland, fortunately, doesn't operate in Oklahoma, but they were behind the bill, not only in Oklahoma, but a handful of other states, uh, trying to make sure that municipalities would not uh, ban the sale of commercially raised puppies in pet stores. And, and there are quite a few municipalities across the United States that have done that in order to, you know, I mean, they, cities and towns are tasked with managing animal overpopulation. And it seems really much more appropriate that they regulate these types of businesses within their borders. And so we, we, that was a tough fight. Uh, it narrowly made it out of the Senate last year, got over to the House. And we were able to slow it down in committee and uh, they took the title and an acting clause off, but it was sitting there and they could have just taken a vote on it. They could have in the house and passed it without going through the whole process again, but it did not move forward. And I do believe that was because of the collaboration of all of the uh, major animal welfare groups in Oklahoma um, opposing that and getting the word out to their grassroots network and stopping that bill. And so I, we wondered if, if they would try to move it this year, but they didn't. So that's a huge victory. It was something that you just have to keep watching. Um, they could introduce it again next year, but they'd have to start the process all over again. And then the other two bills that were important that were introduced were the two hot car bills. And these are bills that would have given immunity to one uh, would have given immunity to good Samaritans to break a window to save a dog or an animal in a hot car. The other uh, had to do with giving the immunity to law enforcement who do the same thing. Uh, the, the law enforcement bill, the hot car bill, 
uh, really got some traction. In fact, it passed the House unanimously, 86 to 0, and made it over to the uh, Senate. And then that's about the time COVID sort of changed up, you know, how much time they would have to hear bills, how many bills would they be hearing. And so that, you know, I really believe was a, a direct, you know, it didn't move further, but that was due to COVID, not because it didn't have support. It had strong bipartisan support. So that was very encouraging. Um, and I think they'll reintroduce it next year and get it over the finish line. I really do. And then there was another one that was wonderful. Uh, Representative Mark McBride of Moore introduced a bill that he named Kelly's Law, and it would have designated um, the shelter pet as Oklahoma's official state pet. And, uh, you know, it, it didn't really have any force of law other than that gesture really would have elevated the status of the shelter pet. I think it says a lot about um, Representative McBride. Uh, he, Callie, is a dog he adopted from the animal shelter. He's, he said it's the first dog he's ever had in his house, and he is just completely smitten and, and loves her and wants to elevate the status of the shelter animal and shine more of a, a light on those facilities and boost adoptions. And so that bill was also very popular uh, in the House. It passed on February 27, 76 to 5, and made it over to the Senate. And it, it would have also made it over the finish line, I have no doubt, had COVID-19 not interrupted uh, the session and the number of bills they would be able to hear. And then there was another bill um, that, thankfully, a bad bill that did not pass it over uh, the finish line, and that was a, a bill guaranteeing the right to utilize working animals. And that sounds kind of technical, and you think, well, what, what can that possibly be about? But again, it's another preemption bill. Um, the introduced version would have preempted local governments from enacting any kind of ban that regulates or terminates um, any use of a working animal or working animal in enterprise. And that would have included anything from animals in, in entertainment, transportation, education, exhibition. And it's so broadly written, you know, it could have included cockfighting, it could have included circus animals, puppy mills, you know, uh, carriage horses. I mean, it just, the mind reels when you think what, what could have been uh, protected there. And, and municipalities would have been unable to regulate. So in Oklahoma, just like the pet land preemption bill, Oklahoma is not the only state where these working animal bills are being introduced. Uh, it made it through the House uh, unanimously, 92 to zero. But part of that was because they took the title off. They said it's still a work in progress. It's going to change. And so they passed it through. When it made it over to the Senate, it, I was wondering how it would change. It, it completely changed. In fact, it became another bill. They uh, changed bill authors, and they used that legislative vehicle to do a completely different bill having nothing to do with working animals. So that one didn't go any further, and we're very grateful for that. This will be the second year in a row that that one has not gotten any traction. So those were good things that happened. Those were all the companion, I would say the priority companion animal bills that were introduced in the 
2020 legislative session. And then the other two important animal bills really had to deal with um, exotic animals or, you know, elephants, lions, tigers, and bears. And uh, one that was introduced was a bullhook bill, a bullhook protection bill, and it would have amended our existing animal cruelty law to uh, allow bullhooks and deem them not cruel. And of course, that is crazy because most, the, the uh, Association of Zoos and Aquariums has a a new policy directive that they want to see bullhooks phased out um, throughout their member zoos. And so it was so odd that this would be introduced um, trying to protect the bullhook while that's going on. So, um, but there's a, there's a circus that uh, is down in Hugo, winters in Hugo, and they have what they call an elephant rescue, but they're using bullhooks. They're just trying to protect the bullhook so they can use it. And uh, we were able to stop that. It got out of the house, but it did not get any further traction in the Senate. The other one that we wished would have um, been more strongly supported and is really very necessary for Oklahoma was the Dangerous Wild Animals in Captivity Act. And that had to do with prohibiting the private possession of big cats and bears in Oklahoma. So that would have been for individuals and roadside zoos. Uh, We have some pretty bad roadside zoos in Oklahoma. They've become internationally famous due to uh, the Tiger King Netflix series. But we have too many of those roadside zoos in Oklahoma. We also have individuals that own these animals. I think Oklahoma is one of the last six states uh, that still has no regulation, no state oversight over these animals. Um, and uh, we're one of the last five states, I think, for bears. So really these big apex predators have no business being in private hands. And of course, the roadside zoos, their only oversight is because they're exhibiting. So they occasionally get a USDA inspection. But when you think about Joe Exotic, He was inspected every year by USDA, and there were horrible atrocities going on at that roadside zoo. So it's um, the USDA inspection system is not perfect. It's um, their minimal standards are not high enough. And these characters that run these roadside zoos are not accredited by the Association of Zoos and Aquariums. They they are not a zoo by any stretch of uh, appropriate zoo by any stretch of the imagination. So uh, Oklahoma really needs this law. And um, the bill author, and we think perhaps due to external pressure from some of these characters, just decided not to move the bill forward. It was very disappointing. Uh, So that, you know, there have been several attempts in the past. In fact, I think this was the fifth attempt to get a bill like that passed. And so it was very disappointing and um, sort of turning my um, sights to the uh, Big Cat Public Safety Act, which is a federal bill that would take care of this. So everybody's really working hard to get support for that bill in Congress. So you, uh, you're, you, as I mentioned earlier, um, catching, catching your breath from this last session. And so I guess you're in a period of catch up right now, aren't you? Yes, it's, um, I've, we, they just adjourned. We know the outcome. 
you know, I was really worried, you know, they suspended the rules. So, so things look different. The, the things are going faster because they're trying to get through bills. And, and even in a normal session, a lot of things happen at the end of the session when they're trying to get through a lot of bills and a lot of bad things can slip through. So, you know, I really, it, it just, you don't really get a good night's sleep until you know, okay, that one's not moving forward. Good. You stop thinking about that for this year. So, uh, yeah, catching my breath, getting back to, you know, regular things, getting, cleaning my house, <laughs> you know, sleep, sleeping, you know, those things, just the catching up a little bit on yard work because it's just, um, it's been a crazy, very unusual session this year. And I guess it's not too early to, to be thinking about uh, 2021. Yeah, we're always planning. Uh, we're looking at what are priorities, uh, policy priorities, uh, and what what do we hope to get done? And of course, what what will we, you know, we never know what we'll have to defend um, until the, the bill, the introduced bills start showing up on our tracking system. But, um, you know, really late summer, early fall, we, we start that planning process and looking at where we're going to put our energy and what we expect we might see again that we will want to defeat. So that, you know, that all starts and moves through the fall into the early winter. And then we, you know, we'll hopefully get introduced whatever bill we're trying to pass and we'll start working on strategy to defeat the bad bills. I know the the work never ends, but uh, Cynthia, do you ever stop to think uh, about your legacy and how you'd like to be remembered for the work that you've been involved with and as a voice for animals in Oklahoma? Mm. Well, I I'd like to be remembered that I I left no stone unturned in every fight um, and maintained high standards, and um, I hope that I you know, been able to rally the troops. I, I think I have in a way that has helped move the ball forward for animals in Oklahoma. Um, I've met a lot of amazing people who, um, I mean, when you get in a, a, a really tough fight like the pet line preemption bill or protecting the cockfighting law or stopping breed-specific legislation, it's, it's amazing who shows up to help. And there are people that you might not talk to for another year or two or three, but they're the, the heroes among the animal protection movement show up when you need them. And it's, it's so wonderful to work shoulder to shoulder with people who are all committed to the protection of animals. And as hard as those fights are, they're probably some of my best memories. That, that collaboration, that um, commitment, uh, even in the face of very difficult adversity, is truly um, a special experience. That's what I'll remember, and it's it's what I hope I'm re- remembered for. Well, here's to many more years of uh, you serving as that important voice uh, for the animals who have no voice. And, uh, Cynthia, we're really grateful uh, for your time today. Is there anything that, and I know we only scratched the surface here, but is there anything you'd like to add that I missed? You know, I would just like to say that, uh, remind listeners that animal welfare and animal protection is not a partisan issue. It is a, 
people broadly care about animals. And if we could get everybody who cares about animal welfare engaged in the political process, we would never lose. And the the trick is to inspire regular citizens who have a beloved cat or dog or who've rescued a pet or have some contact with a rescue group to become politically engaged. And it's easier than anyone thinks. You know, you, you just develop a relationship with your elected representatives, whether that's sending them a quick email or meeting them, uh, following what they do, learning about their background, where they went to school, what they care about, what their experience is, and then keeping in touch with them. And it's um, that it makes a big difference to develop that relationship prior to an important animal bill coming up, that they already know you. And we have people within the animal welfare movement who have very solid relationships. They've learned how to work with legislators and how to develop those um, cordial relationships. And so when they call, when those citizens call and say, I don't like this bill and here's why, that message really resonates. And so if, if you want to help more than one animal at a time and you want to be effective in legislation. Anybody can do that, and and if if everyone would do it, uh, we we would be quite a force uh, for the animals. Cynthia Armstrong is Senior State Director for the Oklahoma Chapter of the Humane Society of the United States. For more information about the just concluded legislative session, visit the Humane Society of the United States Oklahoma, a state-specific Facebook page.